Could you say to the person next to you, Christ has freed me to love you? Could you say that to him for a moment? Now they're wondering why it took Christ to free you to love them, right? Yes? Well, this will make sense as we conclude the first half of Galatians chapter 5 together. So grab your Bibles, your devices this morning if you'd like to follow along. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 again, and we will start with verse 1. You say, Mark, that's what we did last week. We read the same verses. Have we made a mistake? Or is this just a repeat? No, this is not a mistake or a repeat. Because I think that, as we discovered last week, that these this chapter 5 and 6 is Paul's conclusion to this amazing letter that he has written to the churches in the region of Galatia, that when you write a letter, many times the last few lines of that letter are perhaps the most memorable. And so I think that Paul has saved some really great stuff for the end and conclusion of his writing to the churches in Galatia for you and I today as well. And so we wanted to go back and these first 15 verses of chapter 5, we wanted to go back and look at the ones we did not cover last week and recap a little bit of what we did cover so that it gives us a great foundation to move on to verse 16. And verse 16 is where he begins to talk to us about staying in step with the Spirit. And then later on in this chapter, he talks to us about what the fruit of the Spirit looks like for you and I. And if we don't get this down well about that of our freedom in Christ, then when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, those things of patience and love and gentleness and kindness and meekness, those things that we will try to accomplish those things in our life on our own, and we will fail. So I know that most of us have failed at patience, right? At some point in your life, you have failed at patience. And so we want to go back and we want to get the proper foundation before we head on into those words from Paul today. So today, chapter 5, starting with verse 1, I want to get right into what we're going to talk about this morning and because we've got a great deal to cover. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so what we discovered last week is that two things, we have been freed from something and freed to something. That's important. They were freed from something and freed to something. And so we discovered that what Christ has freed us from is, well, a couple of things we talked about together. One was meaningless religion. And, and that is that our experience with God should be immersed in great joy, that our experience with God must not and should not be something that just hymns us in, but it should be a great experience of joy. We also know that we are freed from this a behavioral modification of our life that is based on fear. We talked about the doctrine of the carrot and the stick. If you want context for all of that, go back and listen to the teaching from last week and you'll understand. But yet we find that we do so many things in trying to make ourselves good for God. We do that out of fear of simply losing heaven and gaining hell or, or that kind of thing. And so that's the doctrine of the carrot and the stick. And also the third thing is from being our own God. We're freed from being our own God. And that is that we don't have to have all the answers to the complex questions of life. Life is full of complexities, full of very complex questions. And so that God has freed us from having all the answers because we trust him to have all the answers. And we're freed from 
what Paul began to teach us in chapter 1 about a different gospel. He never told us there was another gospel because there's only one gospel, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's based upon his work on the cross. But he said, though, that there is a different gospel. And it's a gospel based upon the cross plus performance. Is That is that a redemptive work of Christ on the cross for you and I, plus our performance, plus our works. And so he calls this a different gospel. So he's freed us. But what has he freed us to? That's what I'm going to get to this morning. What has he freed us to? Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so when I looked at this verse 6, and this is where we stopped last week, that I realized that, oh, it's so powerful that Paul addresses both that of circumcision and uncircumcision. So what he means is this. He's saying neither that of religion or a lack of religion counts toward an inner character transformation in your life. And what that does, that brings some great balance to you and I this morning. Because when we look at the context of him writing to these Judaizers that are working in these churches in Galatia, they're saying to the Greeks, hey, in order to be a Christian, the cross is not enough. You've got to look like a Christian. You've got to look like a Jew. So you've got to go through this ritual of circumcision. And so what he's saying is that when he says circumcision or uncircumcision, he's saying that circumcision being that in their eyes of a spiritual success or the days in our life when we get it right, and that of uncircumcision or spiritual failure are the days when we don't get it right and we get it wrong. And so you say, well, why does Paul do this? Because Paul knows you and I. Because you and I flow out and fluctuate in out of days we get it right with God and days we don't get it right. Can I get an amen on that? Ah, some of you. Yes, right? So how many of you, let's just make sure I'm in the right place. And, and that is that how many of you this week had a day in your life spiritually where you just did not get it right? Let me see your hand. Anybody? Ah, good. Well, thank you. I feel better. Now we can continue. I thought I was going to have to quit. We pray and go home, right? No, but we can continue because this is the right place. Paul is writing to us, and here's what he's saying. On those days when you get it right, and on those days when you don't get it right and you get it wrong, neither one of those positions counts, is exactly what he's saying. That neither one of those positions count. When it comes to your acceptance with God and God loving you, neither one of those days counts count. So whether you have a good day spiritually or a bad day spiritually, neither one of them give you a leg up with God or give you a leg up over anybody else that's sitting around you this morning. You say, but wait a minute, Mark, doesn't that kind of grace, isn't that dangerous? Because it can lead to what, well, theologically we call license or that of permissiveness. And when we look at the context again of this writing, We know that the Judaizers, those that were saying to the Greeks and the others in that church, hey, here's the thing, you know, you got to look like this to be a Christian. To them, it probably looks dangerous. Absolutely. Because they say, wait a minute, you're giving them way too much freedom. And then to the Greeks who were being subjected to the teachings of the Judaizers, they were probably saying, wow, this is a great heavy load that is lifted off of me that all I have to do is have this simple faith in Christ. So the two positions of that of spiritual success are spiritual failure, according to Paul, and in the face of God, have no value, is what he's saying. 
The only thing that counts in my life and your life is that is faith being expressed through love is what Paul teaches us. Faith in the gospel. Faith in the gospel is the only thing that adds energy and is a catalyst for our love and our relationship with God. It's not the days we get it right and it's not the days that we get it wrong. So we're free to serve God in love and no longer in fear. For those of you this morning that ever struggle with the assurance of your salvation, that you struggle with the assurance of what Christ has done in your life and the permanence of that work within your life, go back and just sit in these words for a moment. That whether you get it right tomorrow and you get it wrong on Tuesday, understand this, Paul says that those things do not count for anything. What counts in my life and your life is faith working through love, the work of the gospel in our lives. And that's powerful freedom that you and I live in. So then Paul, in verse 2, he starts out by saying this, look. And when he says that, what he means is, hey, here's something I want you to see. I don't want you to glance over this. I know you talked about it last week for a few minutes, but I want to talk to you about it again. And here is what he says. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. I underline that. For you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So what this is in my life and your life, it's a moment with these scriptures to have an introspection, a, a look at our own hearts. And so is our relationship an outside-in relationship or is it an inside-out experience with God? I think we have to, before we leave, we have to know the answer to that. Is it this in outside in? Is it that the better I am and the better I do in this life, then the more that my heart will be transformed to be like Christ? Or is it the more that my heart is transformed to be like Christ through a work of the Spirit in my life, then the more I become like Christ with my outward conduct? And Paul says, in what we just read, if you don't want to be under grace and you'd rather be under the law, that of the cross plus performance in your life, then at that very moment, you have no need for a savior is what he's saying. In fact, what he's saying here is Christ will be of no advantage to you. You have no need of a savior. Why? Because you're your own savior, right? So why do you need Jesus in your life if you're your own savior? Because you save yourself through your behavioral modifications and you don't need a savior in your life. And so Paul starts warning about this, warning us about this all the way from verse one of chapter one. He does record regarding this acceptance of this doctrine of that of the cross plus performance. But here he takes it a step further. He adds something here that's very sobering for you and I to contemplate for a few moments. And he says that if you accept this outward in work and experience, then you're obligated to keep all the law 
and not just keeping all the law, but you're obligated to keep all the law perfectly because you're not in need of a Savior because you're your own Savior. Do you see where this kind of thinking and living gets us in a serious pinch in our life? It really does. So I thought about this law. What does that really mean? That means I can't pick the laws that I want and and discard the other ones that I don't want. I can't say that, well, today I'll not tell a lie and today I'll not covet. But tomorrow I may, when I get to work, I may need to tell a lie and I may need to covet about something. Oh, today I won't commit murder, right? And tomorrow, right? Well, you say, Mark, you probably don't have to worry about us committing murder, you know, right? Yes, and, and you probably won't. But when I begin to read Proverbs chapter 18, what I realize is life and death is in the power of the tongue. It's a text that we have taken out of context for years because in context, that text from Proverbs 18 talks about the words that we speak to one another or how we treat each other. So if you're living in this outward in kind of experience with God and that of the cross plus something else, what that means is this, that you're never, ever able to speak a harsh word to anybody again in your entire life. Some of you are in serious trouble, right? Some of you are even having harsh thoughts right now about me talking about this to you, right? Yes, you are. You can never have, and that's a heavy thing and a heavy weight to to carry. It is. And here's the other part of that, that no matter how many kind words you say in the future, that if you're living under this kind of law, then none of all, all of those kind words simply lumped together never erase the one harsh statement that you made to someone else. And Paul's saying, why in the world would you want to live under that kind of weight? And it's heavy. When my boys were small and three years old or so, you know, they would say to me, uh, they, they would say to me, I hold you. And that's the, the, they would say to me, I hold you. What they meant was that, that they wanted me to hold them. It's just the way their speech was developed at that moment. Right? I hold you. So I used to kind of play off of that. And I would say, okay. And I would sit them on the couch and, and like a little three-year-old. And I would sit in their lap, right? You know, you ever done that? And they laugh. They think it's funny. They don't realize how close they are to sudden death by you crushing them. Correct? Yes. Yes. And so what do you do? You hold most of your weight on your legs and you don't put it all on their little laps because all the joy would be gone when you're crushing them. Exactly right. You don't do that. No. And and when I thought about the heaviness of what we just talked about, I thought about this. For those of you that are living under this this outward in approach to God, that you're living under the cross plus something else in your life, it is a weight that is going to crush you. It is going to fall all on you completely. Understand that. Why? Because you're not disciplined enough or moral enough or upright enough to be justified by the rules alone. You can't. It's going to crush you. And Paul says, hey, if this is the way you live, then you are moving away from grace. Not that you've fallen out of grace, but that you are in the process of moving away from grace. So here's what grace does in in our life. Grace 
does this. Grace acknowledges the sin of our lives. You say, Mark, if you're going to put my sin in a box, you better bring out a bigger box. Oh, I have you covered. Hang on, right? Yeah. For those of you that need a little more space, oh, I have you covered right here, there. That makes you feel better, doesn't it? No, it makes you feel worse. Somebody say, Mark, you have no idea the debauchery that's been in my life. You probably need a bigger one than that. For all of those people in the room, I have a bigger one for you. Hang on, right? Yes. Yeah, hang on. Here, it's, here it is. And there, there, that's getting more of your size, right? Yes. I don't have any bigger boxes, so don't just, you know, think I'm going to bring out another one. Yes. And so here's what grace does. Grace acknowledges our sin. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not. Grace does not ignore the sin of your life. Why? Because true biblical grace always draws us to repentance. It does. It always brings transformation in our lives. And you can't fix something unless you acknowledge it. Can I get an amen? Some of you need to acknowledge some things in your life today. And so grace acknowledges our sin. You say, Mark, you still got the small one. All right, I will just do this and show you some grace. We'll use the middle one then. So it acknowledges our sin. Let me tell you something else that acknowledges our sin. The law and rules. It does. Because you know the rules. And what happens when you break them? What happens when you break the standards of God? You feel convicted, right? And then maybe sometimes you even deal with some guilt in your life. So grace and the law work very similar in this area of acknowledging our brokenness in our life and our failures. But that is the extent of the law. The law can do nothing but yet make you feel guilty for the brokenness and the failures of your life. The law has no other power. The rules have no other power to do that. And that's what separates the law from grace. And so what some of you find yourself doing this morning is you find yourself continually trying to cover your own sin. And that's not possible, is it? You can't do it. You tried and you've tried and you can't do it. This is what sets apart the law from grace. Because what the law is unable to do, grace is absolutely able to do through the work of the cross in our lives. And that is that grace is able to cover the sin of our life. You say, Mark, are you a magician? And all of a sudden the box disappears and like a rabbit comes out from under here. No, that's not it at all. But that would have been a great idea, right? I should have planned for that. Yes. And so what I realize is that some of you continually struggle with the rules because you're confused with the rules and grace. Because you think that keeping the rules covers your sin and the only thing that the law is able to do is expose it for what it is. Grace is the only thing that covers it. So here's the thought. Going back to Paul's words, why are they so harsh and passionate? Because Paul just can't understand why anyone would not want to live this way. 
it's almost like he's saying it's beyond his thinking to understand why any of us would want anything other than that of grace covering our lives. But he said, no, but sometimes you do walk away from grace is what he's saying. And you try to work this out on your own. And so he's saying to you and I, hey, this journey has always been about an inside out experience with God. This journey has always been about God transforming you through the power of the gospel so that you're not responding to God through fear and you're not working to try to cover your own sinfulness, which is absolutely, completely, 110% impossible for you to ever do. Because your works can't change you. Only a heart transformation through the gospel can change you. No more than you being here this morning in church makes you Christian. It doesn't. Listen, I'm glad you're here. This is a great place for you if you don't claim to be a Christian, but it doesn't make you that. No more than me going to Starbucks makes me a a pumpkin spice latte with almond milk and half pumps. And that's what I drink now. And I, I feel real bougie saying that to you. I really do. When I go to the Bucks, I say it loud. So everybody hears me in there like, whoa, the old guy, he's got it down, right? Yeah. Do you want whipped cream? No, that's fattening. I don't want that, right? But give me the other stuff like this is not. Yes, exactly. Yes. And, and I thought about this. This is, this is so true that it is an inward experience with God that changes our lives. It really is. And the good days and the bad days, they don't count, Paul says. That God is not keeping score. He said, but Mark, you don't understand the messiness of my life. You have no idea. Well, can I tell you, look around this room. You are surrounded by, let me tell you, I I made a list. You are surrounded by sinners and seekers, skeptics, scoundrels, scallywags, and I run out of S words. Okay, I really did, right? So if you want to email me some this week, email me some more, absolutely. But what I realized is I want to say to you, welcome to the mess. Welcome to the mess. Because this is a place that we're not bringing our perfections. This is a place that we're bringing our brokenness. And we're watching the grace of God cover us completely through the work of the cross in our lives. Because this has always been an inward out experience with God. Let me read further. Let me read verse 7 to you for a moment. And we've already read verse 6. Let me read verse 7 and 8. Because we did not cover this. This is new. And so we didn't cover it last week. And it says this. That you were running well. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. So I had this thought. And here it is. It's just not enough to start well. In our life. It's just not enough to start well. We start this journey out with God. We have this experience, a redemptive experience 
with God is Christ calls us. He chooses us. We don't choose him. So it's, it's God working in our life. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we start this journey out as an Isaac. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about this story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael and Hagar. So we start this out as an Isaac, that we're the children of the promise. Man, this is a work of the Spirit, not the work of the flesh in our life. And then as life does its number on us and we deal with all the issues of life and all the problematic uh, situations in life, all of a sudden we wake up one morning and we realize that somehow we're no longer an Isaac, but we're now an Ishmael and we're a child of the flesh. How does this happen in our life? And then Paul says, but this is not a work of God. This is a work of the enemy. Understand who is working to cause this transition within your life. So I thought about this thing. Then, so what is keeping me from obedience in my relationship and my walk with Christ? And it's this. It's my view of God. It's that is that this my belief that obeying, obeying um, the rules, all the rules that God has, then God is going to love me more. So it's all motivated by fear. And I live by the doctrine of the carrot and the stick. Again, go back and watch last week and it'll give you greater understanding. But what I understand is this, that a heart that is motivated by love does not need to be commanded to obey because we do the things that we love. But when our heart is motivated by fear, we find that we have much greater difficulty keeping the commands of God. Wow. I have to drink a, take a drink of my tea for a moment. It's not a pumpkin spice latte, but that would be nice, right? Can I be transparent with you for a few minutes? Because this was me. I struggled with this for a very long time. Because I took the imprint the imprint of an authority figure in my life. And I placed that over a person. I placed that over God. So I began to see God as this authority figure in my life, this person that was in my life. And I began to mold God in that image. When I was 10 years old, that my mother remarried and she married my adoptive father. And my adoptive father had a lot of rules, many rules, nothing wrong with rules. You don't go home and meet with your kids and say, hey, all the rules are out. You guys just do whatever you want. Then enjoy your chaos. Okay, that's not what this is about. But I struggled, I struggled to keep all of those rules because my heart was trying to obey out of fear and not love. And there was a reason for that. In fact, I became very good at being invisible. You know, I don't know if you understand what I mean, but I became very, very good at staying out of my adoptive father's way because of the wrath that I would receive from him for breaking the rules. 
but yet I'm human, so I was going to make mistakes, and I was going to fail, and, and I failed many times, and, and when I would fail, I knew the consequences of my failure with him, and I couldn't hide from that. And when I failed him, because my heart was not motivated by love, but it was motivated by fear, then I found myself thrown against a wall or kicked through a door, slapped, punched, drugged by my hair to my room to be beaten. And then to lie to my mother about what had happened to me. My father was only delighted in me when I pleased him. But then I met my heavenly father. Who not only forgives me, but he delights in me. Despite my persistent failure with him. I was told for years by my adoptive father that I was a failure and I was a loser because I couldn't keep the rules. But with God, what he says to you and I is that good days and bad days, they don't count when it comes to his love and delight in our life. He delights always in us. For some of you in the room, you need to take the image of an earthly father or an abuser or an authority figure off of God and see the beauty and the wonder and the majesty, and the mercy, and the grace of who he is. That you will fail. You are human. But you don't have to fear. Because he will never unlove you. He will never diminish his care for you and love for you in this life even in the midst of your persistent failures. He will always love you. He says in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And I had to say this to you this morning. That just a little can spoil the whole. And that's what Paul is saying to us. That this process of diminishing, the diminishing of grace in my life and your life doesn't take place out 
side, you know, uh, of your spiritual walk. It takes place very much in the very middle of your spiritual walk, this diminishing of grace in, your, in the middle of your spiritual journey. It doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't. But it's this gradual thing and subtle thing that takes place as a process. All those moments of you, as we coined this phrase a few weeks ago, Hagaring life, right? The, all those moments of you Hagaring life where you're going to help God out and you're going to inject flesh into something that only can be brought about spiritually in your life. All those moments where you said, God, I'm not good enough, so let me be a little better in my life and then you will love me more. All those moments add up within our life and gradually our focus begins to change from the cross to ourselves. That you still love Jesus. Yes, you're not denying who he is. Absolutely not. You are still convinced that he rose from the dead on the third day, but you're no longer motivated by by love, but you're motivated by fear. And what I realized that legalism and works of the flesh, uh, uh, that cross plus performance, that Hagar ideology, what it means when Paul says that a little leaven leavens the whole lump to the Jewish community and culture, it was that of a negative influence or an evil influence in their life. And so what he was saying is it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much for you to begin to move away from grace within your life. It doesn't take a lot. Why? Because as humanity and as humans, we are wired. We're wired to work for our own righteousness. That's why grace and the gospel is absolutely unexplainable to you and I. But yet absolutely marvelous. And so Paul says, hey, this is not some little thing that you can just kind of push to the side of your life. This is not because he says to us in verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would um, emasculate themselves. Let me tell you what Martin Luther says in his commentary in the book of Galatians. I think I read this to you a few weeks ago, but you've forgotten it. So I want to read it to you again. He says, if this is the way you believe, then I wish the knife to slip during the surgery so you can't reproduce any more human beings that think like you think. What a great place to pray and go home, right? No. This Jesus plus theology is dangerous for you. It is not something that you can say, well, I'll just kind of work through in life and I'll survive it and I'll be okay. And once I get to heaven, it's going to be great. Can I tell you, listen to me, that he's, he's talking about in here and he's talking about that we run a race. And I love this because here is the thought. He not only wants you to enjoy the finish line, but God's desire for your life is for you to enjoy the journey, enjoy the race. To not begrudgingly work through your spiritual life all these years or however long it is going to be from salvation to glorification. To work through that with this begrudging weight on you. It's like that of your three-year-old and a full-grown adult is sitting on your lap. That you just can't take it much longer. So he says... That we've called us to freedom. Look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, is what he says. That you were called to freedom. But then he says, but 
Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And this is where we bring the plane in for a landing this morning. It's the test. How do I know when I am abusing gospel freedom in my life? Because Paul has been really salty for a while with us, hasn't he? He's just some really, really rough words. He, really, he has these emotionally charged words to you and I, so powerful. And he's been talking to us about not losing that gospel freedom, not surrendering that so we can take control of our own life, not adding to the cross anything. And so he says, don't lose your freedom. But then he says, hey, on the other hand, don't abuse it either. Don't abuse it. So he takes us on this journey from legalism to what we call theologically license. Because to fall back into legalism means that you lose your freedom, but to fall into permissiveness or license means that you abuse your freedom. Can I tell you something this morning? If you're having trouble sorting this all out, and here it is, that that reality, being free from the law does not mean that you are free to set your own standards in life. That's not what it means at all. Well, wait a minute. He tells me that I'm, uh, I, I'm free from the obligation of the whole law. And then he tells me in verse 13 that I'm commanded to serve one another. And then he tells me in verse 14 that the law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, you know, I'm kind of confused. Am I obligated or am I not obligated? And the answer to that question is yes. Say, Mark, that's two questions. I know. And they're yes. But the question is, are you attempting to justify yourself through your obedience to God's law? Because the obligation was removed for the Christian From that of you having to obey the law to be saved. Tim Keller says it well, and I quote this. He says, Christians are freed from the law as a way to win merit from God, but we are not freed from the law as a way to please God. So, how do I know when I'm abusing my freedom? How do I know this? Let me read verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so how I know, how I know that I am not abusing this law is that I see this opportunity before me. And Paul says this opportunity is to love and care for each other is what he's saying. So I see this opportunity before you and I'm not attempting to love you because the Bible commands me to love you, but I'm loving you outside or inside and through the gospel. Because if I'm trying to love you because the Bible commands me to love you, then I'm loving you out of some fear that if I don't love you, then God is going to take away the carrot and God is going to give me the stick of hell. And so what that creates in my love relationship is this three-inch deep love relationship with you that when we have a disagreement or when you and I don't see eye to eye on something or when we hurt one another or we disagree theologically with each other, then that love is going to dissipate. It's going to go away because a three-inch type of love that's not based upon the gospel 
will never survive our humanity. That is why Christians cannot find unity in our differences. Because we fail to love each other through the gospel and thus we have abused our freedom. Amen, Mark. That's, that's, that's right. That's good. It's true. Not because I said it. Because that's exactly what Paul is teaching us. So if I'm not loving my neighbor well through the gospel, and if I'm only loving my neighbor because the Bible commands me to love, because I'm doing that out of fear, then Paul says that you are abusing your freedom that God has given you through the gospel. So how should I use this freedom? Because I have the ability to use it for the flesh. I do. Yeah. I can take this grace that God has given me and I can just run right over it and trample all over it. Because I know the overwhelming fact and truth is that God's love never diminishes for me. So I can do that. But he says, but you've been called to freedom. And that's freedom with a purpose. An opportunity. To love and to serve each other. So, Mark, what extent are you saying that I got to love and serve the person sitting next to me this morning? Well, Paul tells us that too. That you simply love them as you love yourself. I love you as I love myself. If you want to conquer the flesh of your life, Start loving people around you as you love yourself. Because that changes everything. Not only does that change everything about the people around you, it changes you. When you find that the freedom that Christ gave you was not a freedom without purpose. But it's a freedom to obey Him through love and no longer fear. And the greatest way that you and I demonstrate that obedience is through loving each other and caring for each other to the extent as we care and love for each other as we love ourselves. All of a sudden we find a text that seemed to lack some practical aspect to it becoming overwhelmingly practical in our life. You said, but Mark, I, I love everybody. Well, 
you just broke one of the commands of God because you lied, okay? Because you don't. Because there's someone in your life and somewhere, someone around you who I have said before, and I will say it one more time, that in your life, they are like, they're like sandpaper underwear, right? And they just rub you all the wrong ways. Process that later. So, God is giving you a freedom. Not to do anything you want, but a greater freedom to love them. Not because the Bible commands you to love them, but yet you love them through the gospel because of what Christ has done for you. And man, I know that's difficult. And I'm not saying that I have that down completely. No. I'm a work in progress. But what I do know about my Father, God, is that I took that image of an earthly father off of him and all of a sudden I saw his beauty. And that transformed me to know that whatever I do in life, he delights in me. Can I tell you? He delights in you today. He delights in you. So can I pray for you for a moment and pray with you? If you would take a posture prayer, however that looks for you this morning. Because I think we need to spend a moment of introspection, of looking at our own hearts together. Because you see, everything is revealed to the, to the Holy Spirit in our life. He knows everything about us. Nothing is hidden. But I think sometimes we have to dig a little deep or to uncover in our life. To acknowledge, maybe. Or maybe you would even use the word confess. To be honest about where we are in this journey. First, is are you living under a different gospel? Have you looked at the cross and said the cross is not enough for me, but I have to, God, I have to add something to that? Have you done that? Or how, how are you serving God through a heart that's driven by fear and afraid that you will somehow miss heaven and gain hell and so that's the fear that drives you? Do you see God like I saw him? Always with a heavy hand to use against you because you failed him and you know in your heart that you will fail him again and so you're just waiting for that next moment 
Or maybe you're hiding from God, as if we can. You're avoiding Him when He longs to be with you. And so lastly, you're struggling with loving someone. And the scriptures have challenged us today in that area. So look at your own hearts today. So Father, during this prayer, Father, during this moment of talking to you, that we would be still and know you in our life. Father, look deep into our hearts as only you can. God, I'm, I'm asking you by the power of your spirit to make things known to us and visible to us that maybe we uh, haven't looked at in a long time in our own hearts. Father, in this room is pain and a lot of disillusionment about things in life. And we've taken those brushes and we've painted you with those things. And so, Father, may you exchange those brushes of pain and disillusionment for love and acceptance and mercy and grace because that's who you are. Father, may we keep the standards that you have set for us. And God, we know that starts from the inside out, not the other way around. And Father, we are more likely to obey you when we are driven by love and not fear. So God, fill our lives with your love today. So work in us as you only can. we will give you thanks in your name amen thank you father would you stand with us for a moment of worship today before we leave thank you